And now it's time for Madison's Mad Facts with your host, Madison Standish. Hey everybody, it's Madison. Welcome to another Madison on the Air bonus feature of Madison's Mad Facts, where we look at the way things were in real life back during these old-timey radio shows. This month, I had to seek out help from The Saint. Spoilers ahead, people. Go listen to the episode first. To continue, all of my troubles revolved around my plaid coat that I dropped off at the dry cleaners. So for this Madison's Mad Facts, I decided to explore the history of dry cleaning. Okay, the topic might not sound that exciting on the surface, but all of you go to the dry cleaners at some point. So sit back and listen. You might just learn something. With me to explore this subject is the voice of our announcer in The Saint, among other fabulous cameos, Jonathan Winstead. Hey, Jonathan. Sup? Why, hello, Madison. It's... <coughs> Excuse me. Hi, Madison. It's great to be here. <laughs> you okay there, Jonathan? I can't offer you any water because we're going to be talking about dry cleaning. <laughs> See what I did there? Which, segue, start us off with a quick definition of dry cleaning. Because dry is kind of a misnomer. Yeah, when anyone refers to the process of dry cleaning, what they specifically mean is the process of cleaning without using water. Instead, non-water-based chemicals or solvents are used, but those solvents are in liquid form. Okay, this is crazy. So, tell everyone about which kind of non-water solvents were first used in early dry cleaning. Because it goes back pretty far in history. It does. Ancient Romans are credited with the first dry cleaning. Those cleaners were called fullers, and evidence of their process was found in the ruins of Pompeii, so we're looking at 79 AD. In order to remove stains and sweat from clothing that was too delicate for water and scrubbing, they used a type of clay referred to as fuller's earth, as well as lye and ammonia. Oh, not just any ammonia. It was ammonia from urine. The process proved so effective and was so widely used that there was a tax put on the fullers for collecting urine. So they often favored using animal urine from livestock or would collect pots from public restrooms. I'm voting for that as the reason for the fall of Rome. Hey, urine was used for centuries to bleach fabrics, and uh, even the Native Americans who lived in what is now California used urine to bleach their hair, becoming the first bleach blondes in L.A. I'll stick to my box of L'Oreal, thanks. <laughs> well... More modern methods for dry cleaning came about in the early 1800s. The most famously told story is about the discovery made by Jean-Baptiste Jolet of France in 1825. Reportedly, a careless maid knocked over a lamp and spilled turpentine onto a dirty tablecloth. Jolet noticed that as the turpentine dried, all the stains on the fabric were gone. So he filled a bathtub with turpentine and submerged an entire tablecloth in it. He then removed it, let it dry, and it came out clean. No one is sure if this story of the maid is true, but records show Jolet did open the first modern dry cleaners in Paris. Ooh, but tell us about Thomas Jennings, because this is a great story. Oui, oui. Well, four years before Jolet would experiment with turpentine, in New York City, an African-American who was born free, named Thomas Jennings, was working as a tailor and clothier. He constantly faced customers' age-old complaints about not having effective ways of cleaning their delicate clothing, so he began experimenting. Jennings came up with a method he called dry scouring. It was a success, and he became the first African-American to hold a U.S. patent. Because he was born free? Right. Up until then, if an enslaved person created something, the patent legally belonged to the slave owner who would file the patent under his name. But because Jennings was born a free man, 
he was able to patent it under his own name. Jennings became so wealthy from his patent, he was able to buy his wife and children out of slavery and then funded numerous abolitionist movements. That's a really cool history fact. Unfortunately, the original patent was lost in a fire in 1836, so there is no surviving information about the exact method Jennings invented, but it's believed he would have used things like turpentine, benzene, kerosene, gasoline, and petrol as solvents. Now keep in mind, all of these solvents are highly flammable, so dry cleaning from the early 1800s all the way into the early 1900s was a very dangerous profession. Fires and explosions were so frequent that many cities banned dry cleaning factories within the city limits, so dry cleaners were forced to have a storefront in town, but then send the garments out of town to the factories to be cleaned. So when did dry cleaning move away from, you know, blowing up? In the 1930s, petroleum shortages due to World War II brought about the usage of a chemical called tetrachloroethylene. <laughs> just try saying that six times fast. Scratch that, try saying it once. Thanks a lot, Madison which is sometimes referred to as perchloroethylene, uh, or the infinitely easier to pronounce, perk. Hey, you rocked it, Jonathan. Send a copy of this to impress your high school chemistry teacher. The chemical was not flammable, so cities lifted the bans on dry cleaning plants. It was able to be used in smaller and more compact dry cleaning machines and actually cleaned better than the earlier solvents. To this day, it is still used by the majority of dry cleaners. Not super for the environment or our health. Mm, true. Early on, the dry cleaning machines had large exhaust pipes very similar to a modern-day home clothes dryer that would vent out the heat and the chemicals into the atmosphere. It was found to be toxic to humans, animals, and plants in the environment, and with extended exposure, especially by workers in the industry, PERC can contribute to liver failure, onset of Parkinson's disease, and the International Agency for Research on Cancer has labeled it a Group 2 carcinogen. That urine is sounding better all the time. Well, government agencies have since banned the exhaust pipes. Instead, the machines recycle the chemical where it can be effectively reused. Plus, the amount of perk in most commercial dry cleaners today is a significantly lower percentage than when it was originally introduced. However, there are still advocates working to remove perk from dry cleaning altogether. A law passed in California to phase out the use of perk will make the chemical illegal in the state as of 2023. So we've heard of green dry cleaners. They don't use perk. What do they use? Well, there are various non-toxic methods that are gaining popularity. Uh, liquid carbon dioxide is pressurized in order to clean clothing. But a major trend is towards liquid silicone, referred to as D5, derived from its very long chemical name. D5 is clear, odorless, non-toxic, and non-hazardous, and has been used for years in the cosmetic industry in everything from deodorants to hairspray to skincare. So we shall see what the future brings to the dry cleaning industry. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for talking with us about the history of dry cleaning. Well, it was my pleasure, Madison. Except for the part about the tetrachlor... tetrachlor... that part. You did a great job teaching us a new big word today. And if you said it wrong, we'll just wait for all the chemists in the audience to troll us in the comments. A bientôt. Ooh la la. Nice Paris callback. Okay, thank you guys for listening to our little bonus feature of Madison's Mad Facts. And get ready for new episodes of Madison on the Air to premiere the first of every month. <laughs>